Uh, Emma, it hardly feels as if you've left. Well, because no. we saw you on the leaders weekend. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. you have left St. Mark's. I have, uh, yes. Remind us what you're doing. Um, well, I left last October to um, start training at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. Um, so I'm going to be a vicar. <laughs> Wonderful to have you back. Thank you. This is the second in our series of four on courageous relationships. Um, last week, Mark spoke about courageous friendship. If you haven't listened to it, Go and listen to it on the website. Uh, Emma's uh, uh, a single Christian, and she's going to be talking about courageous singleness. Uh, next week, Christine and I will be talking about, uh, about courageous marriage. And uh, on the fourth Sunday, uh, Quinn and Meleni will be talking about courageous dating. Um, and the one thing we've wanted to say to all of you, um, and I want to say now, is um, all of these four ought to be of interest to all of us, whether you're single or married or whatever, um, we all need to hear uh, on all four of these subjects. So let me pray for Emma as she talks to us on courageous singleness. Lord, thank you for Emma. Thank you for all the years she was with us in this congregation and then on the staff. Thank you for her present life in uh, Oxford, training for ordination. And we pray that you'd bless her path and even today, strengthen and encourage and bless her in body, mind, and spirit as she uh, is back among us. Speak through her, we pray, to the wisdom and help of every one of us here this morning. Amen. Oh, hello everyone. It's really nice to be back. I miss you guys a lot. Um, just so you know, I think it's only when you come back um, and, and can look back on a time that you spent somewhere that you realize quite how much of a good thing you had. Um, so you guys are a really good thing and I miss you a lot. Um, but I'm a really big fan of this sermon series on relationships. Last week's talk from Mark on friendship was excellent. I listened to it online, and if you haven't yet heard it, then I thoroughly recommend that you do, um, that you go and, and have a listen. It's really important stuff. True friendship is the key building block of Christian community. If you've read many of the New Testament letters, you'll have seen that Peter and Paul and the rest were obsessed with building great Christian community. And their letters are constantly pulling these young churches up on where they might be failing in that. And it's for good reason. They understood that when God's people love one another well, it witnesses to the world that this is what God is like. In fact, this was one of Jesus' uh, main parting words to his disciples before he went to the cross. Um, love one another, it says in John 13, verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all mankind will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So there's a lot of love going on in that quote. But it's not fluffy warm, cozy feelings about the people around us kind of love. In fact, how we feel about the people around us is kind of irrelevant in many ways. This is active, self-giving love, where it is an act of the will to behave towards others in a way that will make their life just a little bit better. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. 
So this is why I am so excited to be a part of this sermon series with you. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a community that loves well. And in order to love each other well, we need to listen to each other. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer has the following to say. The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists of listening to them. Just as love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for our brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. We need to hear what's going great in the lives of those around us so we can celebrate with them and be inspired by them. And we need to hear what hurts and what's hard in their lives as well so that we can encourage and support them. And the flip side of this as well is that we need to be prepared to be open with those around us. So my hope and prayer over these next three weeks for the community here at St. Mark's and the community that I'm a part of in Oxford is that we will start conversations with people whose lives look different to our own and that these conversations will continue and that out of it will grow community. I pray that God will show us the joy of community. So I'm here today to talk a little bit about life as a single Christian. I'm not so sure about the courageous bit yet, but hopefully you guys can help me out with that. Um, I'm not sure I have it all wrapped up. I'm super aware as well that the single life is experienced differently by everyone. So just to clarify, a single person is someone who is not currently married. You might be single but dating. You might be single and not dating but wishing that you were. You might be single with no intention of dating. You might previously have been married but find yourself single again, either because of the death of your spouse or because of divorce. And you may or may not be a single parent. The Christian life, single life, comes in all shapes and sizes. And in my experience, hello, the single life is a mixed bag. Sometimes it feels joyful and wonderful. Sometimes I feel like it's me and Jesus hanging out, having a great time, and I'm free to respond to his call and do whatever um, takes my fancy. And at other times, it can feel lonely, limiting, frightening, exhausting. But whatever our feelings at this very moment may be, I want to begin with the assertion that the Bible has good news for single people. And as a result, it has good news for all of us. And here is the first reason why. Earthly marriage is not God's ultimate fulfillment of our desire for intimacy. It is not, in fact, the apex of our relationship goals. It's temporary. It's temporary because it's limited to this life, a lifelong commitment. The wedding vows speak of till death do us part. I'm sure you've heard that. And the Bible does not promise to reunite husbands and wives in their former wedded bliss at the resurrection. In fact, Jesus teaches quite the opposite in the Gospels. And I'd love for you to turn with me now to Matthew 22, verse 23. You'll find it on page 991 in the Red Church Bibles, if you've got one in front of you. 
991. Matthew 22, verse 23. So have a listen to this story. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So you see, in this part of the gospel, the Sadducees are trying to catch Jesus out and prove that the resurrection is an illogical idea. And they're doing this by referring to something called the Leveret's Law, um, where Moses... uh, said that in order for um, a man's name not to die out, um, he was, uh, if he died, his wife was um, to have children by his brother. Um, This was how it worked in a society where um, there wasn't hope for resurrection, so your name had to carry on uh, through uh, your children. But Jesus, instead of defending the resurrection on the terms of their arguments, says to them, actually, what you're asking is silly, because you're not capable of imagining what life will be like at the resurrection. There won't be marriage at the resurrection. Look again at verse 29. You don't know the scripture or the power of God. When Jesus comes again in glory, we will be changed. And if you think that marriage is the best thing you can imagine now, Just you wait to see what God has in store for us. Because earthly marriage, at its best, is actually just an imperfect, prophetic picture of the ultimate marriage that we all get to join in with. Turn with me to Revelation 19, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 6, and it's on page 1247 of the Red Bibles. So, let me read verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So we can see here the writer of Revelation has seen this vision of the celebration at the resurrection. And he describes it as being the wedding 
feast of the Lamb. Jesus is presented with his church, dressed in her radiant best, and they're joined in committed, perfect relationship forever. And it's not just here that the Bible describes God's people as his bride, as the bride of Christ. You can actually trace this imagery all the way through the Old Testament law and the prophets, and all the way through the Gospels and letters, culminating in this beautiful passage that we have here in Revelation. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. So do you see, if you're a Christian, you are engaged. Congratulations. Um, I'm looking forward to the best wedding reception ever. The food is going to be better than the best wedding breakfast you've ever had. Um, and the dancing will far outstrip the best Kaylee you've ever taken part in. And the honeymoon, that's going to last forever. You might be aware that nuns over, bear with me, nuns over the centuries have been called brides of Christ. And the ceremony where a nun makes her vows um, is actually a lot like a wedding. So the nun-to-be um, dresses in a white wedding gown, and she's led up the aisle by her father, uh, where she makes vows to Jesus before the priest. Now, I'm not hear me right, I'm not saying that all of us singles need to go out and become monks and nuns. Um, however, there is something extraordinarily powerful about having the courage to say in this life, Jesus, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And why shouldn't we, first and foremost, Give our whole hearts, souls, minds, and strengths to Jesus when he gave everything for us. This is the gift of singleness. To be able to say, do you know what? Never mind the prophetic picture of earthly marriage. I'm keeping my eye focused on the real thing. I'm looking forward to the marriage of Christ to the church. If the gift of marriage is that a husband and wife are able to reflect Jesus' love for his church, then the gift of the single person is to show to the world that Jesus' love alone is enough. This is such powerful stuff. If only we can grasp it. If only we can truly grasp it. Single people, we are a picture to the world of Christ's all-sufficient love. How does that feel? Okay, well, I want to be honest with you guys. Sometimes that feels great. Sometimes I really know this in my head and I feel it in my heart. And I'm aware of Jesus with me in my day. And sometimes his presence in prayer times is overwhelmingly sweet. And I spend the day walking on air and bubbling with joy. It's like a foretaste of heaven. But at other times, the reality of not having someone physically there to do life with or just give me a hug becomes all I can think about. And I'll be completely honest with you, that's been very much my headspace for the last couple of months. Ironically, the time that I've been preparing for this talk. So, <laughs> um, And I know that there will be single people here today who feel that desperately. And I'm with you, my friends. Sometimes it just hurts. 
And at those times, it is so tempting to start saying to God, Lord, if you loved me, you would send me someone to be with. Well, we've been created for intimacy and deep relationship. And in my experience, it is the greatest temptation of the single Christian to believe that this can only be found in the marital relationship. But the reality is that this longing can only truly be fulfilled by God. Those who've been married for any length of time will confirm the realization that their spouse cannot fulfill their whole desire for intimacy. And they're not supposed to. Tim Keller has this to say. No marriage can ultimately give us what we most desire and truly need. Even Christians married to Christians will do a terrible job of conducting their marriage if they lack a love relationship with Christ. If we don't have that, married people will put too much pressure on their marriage to fulfill them. And then he goes on and speaks to single people. Similarly, if singles don't have the same fulfilling love relationship with Jesus, they will put that pressure on their dream of marriage. But if singles rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ, they will be able to handle single life without devastating loneliness. Singles must realize that the very same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single life would also or will distort their married life. Seeking fulfillment in anyone other than God is ultimately idolatry. And this is true whether we are married or single. Okay, so let's get practical. How can we seek fulfillment in God? Here are a few tips that I've picked up from wise friends and over the last few years. Number one, tell God how you feel. One of the biggest mistakes I think that I can make um, when I'm having a being single sucks kind of a day um, is to assume that because I'm mad with God that I can't talk to him. Um, And if you feel that way, can I invite you to just take a look at the Psalms? Because uh, so often the psalmists are mad at God or what they perceive is going on around them. So if the psalmists don't have that problem, then you've got permission to tell him how you feel as well. Number two, tell God what you want. And then keep your eyes open for how he answers it. God wants us to bring our desires to him for fulfillment. That's ultimately what we're created for. And that's how our desires uh, become gifts from him rather than idolatry that takes us away from him. And he's going to do it in really tangible ways. But it might not always be how we expect it to be. So, for example, just a a small example from the last couple of weeks. Um, It was a really beautifully sunny day in Oxford. I hope you had as nice a day here in London. Um, And I went out to a nearby park to where I live for a bit of a walk. And I was admiring the flowers. And it was beautiful and sunny. And I was in a grump. And the reason I was in a grump was um, because I was just feeling a bit lonely. Um, And I said to God, do you know what? This is lovely. This is wonderful. I love these flowers. These are great. But I don't have anyone to share them with. You know, thanks a bunch. (laughs) Um, And uh, I carried on on my walk. And I went round the corner. And uh, I bumped into a friend of mine from college. And she was out for a walk as well, and she was keen to carry on uh, chatting as we went, and we carried on around the park. And it took me a while, but eventually, 
I realized that here was God's gracious answer to my prayer. You want someone to share the park with, Emma? Here you go. Here is someone for you to share the park with. Now, that's just a little example. Um, but we can and we should give these desires to God. Lord, I want to go on holiday, but I don't know who to go with. Tell him that. Ask him to answer it. Lord, I want children in my life. He can answer these prayers. We just need to be, um, have our eyes open for how and expect it from him. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In his wisdom, God may choose to fulfill our desires in unexpected ways. He promises to give us the desires of our hearts like a good father. He doesn't promise to fulfill our demands. He's not our servant. He ultimately knows what's best. So let's foster an attitude of gratitude. That's my final tip. Let's take time to give thanks to God for the good things he's given us in our day. I can find that this is one of those things which can sometimes feel excruciating um, to start, but if, if you're not in the, in the right mindset. Um, but once you've kind of just squeezed out that first thank you for something, however small, it kind of just breaks the stranglehold of negativity. And after a while, the thankfulness really just begins to flow and it can transform our days and it can open us up to worship again. And finally, I want to finish where I started, and that's in community. Because courageous singleness is only possible in community. Having recently left the St. Mark's community um, and started out in a new city and a new church, I feel particularly con conscious of uh, some of the factors that can make it easier or harder to live a single life. Here are a few thoughts on uh, how we, whether married or single, can help our single friends in the church. Here we go. Number one, single people need hugs. Um, it's probably best to check permission for this first, um, just going to say. Um, but just be aware, single people can go for weeks without having a decent hug. Um, so please hug your single friends. Number two, make intentional invitations. I've received some wonderful and generous invitations from married friends or um, friends with families. Um, saying, come over, be a part of the family anytime, you're always welcome. And it's a lovely invitation, but it is impossible to respond to. <laughs> um, because I'm not sure that you really want me just turning up and knocking on the door anytime. That's probably not your reality. Um, but I, we have that sense of being dying to get to know your family better. So make the intentional invitation. Invite us in at a point, you know, invite us around at bedtime so we can help read a bedtime story, if that's something you'd like help with. And number three as well, allow us to join in with family stuff. I uh, actually recently sent a note out to my friends in Oxford who have kids saying to them, if you need any babysitting over the holidays, just let me know. And they all come back and sort of saying, oh, you're so kind, you're so kind. It's like, no, actually, you don't realize it's not quite so much for you as for me. Um, the, the reason being that uh, your kids are cuter, funnier versions of you. And uh, <laughs> when it comes to it, I'd, I'd like to get to know them, actually. That would be great. Um, but also, there's this thing that um, 
kids are a really important part of your life. And so if they're an important part of your life, then help us to understand that as single people as well by involving us in that um, so that we can um, understand what's good about your life and what's hard as well because there are immense sacrifices you've made as parents. And then finally, this kind of comes with a, a warning attached to tread lightly. Introduce us to your other single friends. I'm going to say right here and now that setting people up is okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't be, don't be awkward about it. There's no need to, you know, check in and make sure that everything's okay and, 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 and keep trying to push, push things that might not be working out. But um, introducing friends who you think might get along is an immense blessing, especially in this age of internet dating, where actually that online environment can be really daunting um, and lack accountability as well. So actually, we'd love to be encouraged um, to meet people within community. But really as well, I just want to say, well done, St. Mark's, because I think that really this is something that you do well here. Um, I've been really blessed whilst I was here um, to be able to have really good relationships with a broad range of people. So keep doing that. Keep being bold in inviting people to lunch or to the pub uh, or for a coffee during the week. Um, reach out to people who are different age to you. Reach out to people from a different background to you. We're truly in community when we love those whom the Lord gives to us not when we have a cozy circle of friends who have the same interests and experiences. So, let me pull this together for you. However we feel, the Bible has good news for single people. Because we see that marriage is a picture of the ultimate marriage which we will enjoy of Christ and the church. It's going to be worth the wait. And if as singles, we can learn to set our hearts on this, then singleness becomes a gift. It becomes a gift which shows the world that Jesus' love is all-sufficient. So whether you're married or single, let's make sure that we're practicing intimacy with God now. Let's um, foster our, and, and give time to our prayer lives with God because that's going to be what lasts forever. And let's remember as well that in the here and now, courageous singleness is only possible in community. So let's encourage one another. Amen.